Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Happy birthday, Pastor PJ. Hey, thanks, man. Thanks. Wow. It's uh, it's Sunday, June 25th. Unique fact about June 25th that I happen to know because it's my birthday. Um, it's exactly six months until Christmas. Is that right? Yep. My I'm birthday is Jesus's half birthday. Yeah. So like, are you half the man Jesus was? Is that how that works? I don't even know if I'd go that far, but uh, yeah. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Birthday it's, wishes. It's also Sunday. And that's kind of cool to have a birthday on Sunday and uh, we're going to be gathering together as the church tonight for our Bible study. It's, it's hot. It's, it's hot. We've noticed. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I I feel like I can't go outside without, I I get shades darker just by being out there for minutes. Yes. I feel it. I get shades redder um, (laughs) by being out there for minutes, but it's supposed to be 109 this week. Uh, here in Texas, and the humidity is about 109% on that day, that's too. <laughs> yeah. That's how everybody feels. Yeah. I think you've got some beef, though, maybe to take up with the, the creator because your your house has been targeted multiple times with power outages. Oh, seriously. And, it's been rough. And storms out here. Yeah. And uh, we've had some flickering of lights, but that's about it. Yeah. So I don't know what kind of special treatment you guys are getting, but my house has gone out a power at least, uh, twice, three times Yeah. Now? I yeah, it's bad. I stopped counting after one. Right, right. <laughs> so why is this happening to me? I don't know, man. But uh, I feel like I'm suffering. But this not is as mu- enormous suffering. Not as much as Job. Not as much. No, you're not in sackcloth and ashes, scraping your your skin with potsherds. No, but I have started writing my own book. <laughs> <laughs> the suffering of my life. Uh, okay. Well, we're, we're in Job, uh, Job chapter four, five, and six this morning for our old Testament. And then we're back in Acts chapter seven for the new Testament. Um, we get some, some counsel, if we can call it that from Job's friends, we begin to wade into their wisdom or advice or, uh, yeah, what they have to say to Job. And it, it doesn't start well. Eliphaz or Eliphaz or, or whatever you want to call him, he starts out and, and it doesn't uh, start out encouraging. He basically looks at Job at the beginning of chapter four and he says, hey, you need to be practicing what you preach. You're always coming alongside and, and strengthening other people. And yet here you are, he says in verse five, you are impatient and you are dismayed. You are downcast. You are discouraged by all of this. And he then begins to proceed to accuse Job of wrongdoing. He says, you must have done something wrong to be suffering the way that you're doing. Uh, he says in verse seven, who that was innocent ever perished or were the upright ever cut off? Uh, I've seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. So in other words, Job, you must have done something mm-hmm. and maybe you can't remember it, but clearly you did something because the pattern, according to Eliphaz, that he has seen in, in his life mm-hmm. is that the wicked received the judgment of God. Um, but the, the the picture of God that we get from Eliphaz is is somewhat tragic. Beginning in verse 17, he says, Can a mortal man be right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? Even in his servants, he puts no trust. In his angels, he charges with error. So for Eliphaz, God is this distant and uncaring, almost uh, judging figure that, that he has there. God is not a, a loving, uh, not an imminent God. In other words, he's not close to his creation. And, and he's calling Job to realize, man, you're in trouble because this just and holy and righteous, powerful creator who has the right to do what he wants to do with his creation, he's after you because you've done something wrong. 
And so Eliphaz uh, comes out hard in chapter four, and, and it's not something that is going to encourage Job as Job is downcast and downtrodden suffering. And then he gets into chapter five and again, just doubles down on things. He basically in the beginning of chapter five calls attention to the inevitability of suffering for sin. He says in verse six, he says, affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble sprout from the ground, but man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. So in other words, if you've been around a campfire or a bonfire before and you see the sparks flying up into the night sky, Eliphaz is, is comparing the inevitability of God's judgment coming to sin to, to the, the sparks going upward from the fire as they leap out of the flames there. And then his, his counsel to Job in starting in verse eight is, look, you need to seek God commit your cause uh, to him. He's the one that's behind all of this. So Eliphaz there is understanding, okay, this is from God. God has the power to intervene here. Job, you need to get right with him. You need to, uh, to respond to him. And I think even in the midst of the bad counsel, there are certain nuggets here for us to grab hold of, like chapter five, verse 17. Behold, blessed, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. You may have read that and your mind may have jumped all the way over to Hebrews chapter 12, right? Where the writer of Hebrews talks about not despising the discipline of the Lord, that, the, that God disciplines one he loves as a father disciplines his child. That's not necessarily what Eliphaz has in mind here, but we see that there are veiled within the the, the poor and 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 unwise counsel of Eliphaz. There are these little nuggets still there of truthfulness contained in what he has to say. And I think that's what makes that's what makes Job so hard to kind of wrestle with because they say true things. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're half true. Sometimes they're a little more than that, a little less than that. But looking and reading through the the work of Job is a, a skillful task. And, and probably one of the biggest mistakes Eliphaz makes is that he approaches God mechanistically as though God's just a, a machine, robotic approach where you, you put in A, you're going to get B. That's how it works. And I guess it's true as far as it goes, but that's not the way that God operates. He's, he's a person and he can often have uh, unexpected and surprising responses to even our prayer life. I mean, I can think of some of the times that I prayed for God to do A or B and God gives me C. Now, I, I, you know, I've said before in, in the past, like I, I would never see myself leaving California and lo and behold, here you are, here I am 109 degrees and I love it and power outages and, power, and, and man, near tornadoes. It's been pretty crazy. Yes. Job's response in chapter six to Eliphaz is first he, he realizes and admits and agrees. Yes. He gets that this is from God. Look at what he says in verse four. He says, the arrows of the almighty are in me. Job's not sitting there going, Satan, this is you who's, who's done this or blaming chance or blaming happenstance. He understands that, that somehow God is behind this because he understands that God is powerful enough Mm -hmm. that he could stop this if he so chose. True. And he says, my spirit drinks their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. Um, verse eight, oh, that I might have my request that God would fulfill my hope. Okay, well, what is that? Is it that that the suffering would end? Yes, but look at where Job's at at this point. Like he he's not just hoping that things will get better and that he'll turn the corner. He wants to be done with the life that he's living. He wants to be gone. He says in verse nine that it would please God to crush me, that he would let loose his hand and finally finish me off that this would be my comfort. I would even exult in pain unsparing if that pain unsparing, in other words, were going to lead to the end of it all. Like mm. kill me even in a painful way, even in a way that's going to bring even more suffering as long as you finish me off. Yeah. Job feels like he's just in this waiting room of, of silence, this wait, waiting room of suffering right now, wherein he doesn't have any answers for why it's happening and it doesn't look like it's going to finish him off at all. And he's, he's just saying, God, will you just get, get this over with? 
And then he turns in, in the rest of chapter six, really with his friends. And he says, what are you doing? You're, you're horrible counselors. Basically he's saying you've, you've failed me as friends. Um, you've seen my calamity. You're afraid. Have I said, make me a gift verse 22 or from wealth, offer me a bribe, deliver me from the adversary's hands, redeem me from the hand of the ruthless teach me. He says, and I'll be silent. Make me understand how I've gone astray. In other words, Job's pleading his innocence with, with Eliphaz here. He's going, you're telling me I've done something, but what, what have I done? Um, and this is coming from a man that's examined his own heart and not able, been able to find anything. And he's just making this final plea for sympathy from his friends. I think it teaches us when we're counseling people or even counseling ourselves as we work through difficult circumstances that we need to be very careful in how we approach others, especially that we're not assuming and ascribing guilt where we have no idea, especially for someone like Job who says, look, I didn't do anything. I'm, I'm innocent. And God affirms that God calls Job blameless. When Eliphaz says, look, man, tell me, give me a situation where someone who sows, uh, sows righteousness and reaps trouble. I don't see that. And yet in John chapter nine, uh, we do encounter someone who is born with a significant disability. And it's not because he had sinned or his parents had sinned. It's because God had a plan to magnify himself in that person's life. So we don't want to be too simplistic with people who suffer. We don't want to be overly, uh, overly minimalistic as we approach the difficulties of life. Be aware as you counsel others not to be like Eliphaz. Absolutely. And, and yeah, such good counsel. Um, we can't conclude you're suffering. You must have done something wrong. There's, there's more to it than that. We need to be patient counselors um, to try to, to get to the bottom of what's going on. And just sometimes that involves just saying, hey, I, I don't know, but I'll pray with you mm-hmm. and uh, seek God with you and be there with you as you're suffering. Right. Acts chapter 7, uh, the, the defense of, of Stephen continues. Um, I don't know if, how much of a defense this is as much as it is, you know, an offense. I mean, Stephen is is just laying it out for them. He's breathing fire, man. Yeah. I mean, verses 20 through 43, which is our reading today, he continues to go on to explain how God had been pursuing and and going after Israel and, and Israel had been rebuffing and rejecting and turning away. Um, I mean, look at verse 23. He's, he's now getting into the story of, uh, uh, of Moses. It says, when he was 40 years old, he came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And he supposed, verse 25, that they would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And that's kind of Stephen's point here with right. the Pharisees and the Jews is like, God's never get it. You're just repeating this yep. over again. You just don't understand. Yeah. Just like with Moses, it's happening again. Um, verse 37, this is the Moses, the one that you admire so much, the one whose law that you're so passionate about. This is the one who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. And Stephen's saying, you've, you've missed him again, right? Verse 39, our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods. Mm-hmm. And so Stephen's really not defending as much as he is prosecuting. He's right. kind of turned the tables on the, the Jewish people here. Yeah, and I love the fact that he quotes what he's, what he's talking about as living oracles. Verse 38, he talks about the, the words that were given to Moses. Um, he received living oracles to give to us. Stephen is doing exactly what any good evangelist would do. He's presenting the word of God as being the primary source and authority to to bring conviction to them. Now, granted, it does hit the target. They don't respond the way that you would hope or desire, but it does hit the target because God's word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Those oracles, and by the way, the word oracle, don't let that throw you off. It's just another way to talk about the word of God. Mm. We, you know, it's, a, it's still related to the word logos, but it's an oracle. We, we call it that instead of a 
instead of a word. In any case, living oracles. God's word is living and active. It's still alive today. Good for you for being in the word. If you can get more of it, man, soak it all up so that you're ready like Stephen. Yeah. Job and and Stephen, you may be wondering, okay, is there a connection here? And I think one thing that, that I think is important for us to hit on and touch on here, you've got two men, one in Job, who God described as blameless and righteousness, no one else like him on the face of the earth. And then you've got this guy, Stephen, who is a man who fits the qualifications of a deacon back in Acts chapter six. I mean, he's a man of good repute and he's full doing of the spirit, yeah, full, full of the wisdom. spirit, doing incredible things. And yet, both of these men are are wrecked in their own way, right? I mean, Stephen, spoiler alert, but he's this is not going to end well for him. Well, what? Yeah, yeah. Just what read happened? the rest of Acts chapter you seven. I said. give you permission. Go ahead, read read ahead. Pause us. Go read. Go read. Go read. Now come back. All right. And and so the question may be, okay, God, why, why, why would why would you why would you allow this? Right? Mm-hmm. We talked about it with the Old Testament reading. Job had this understanding that God was behind what was happening. The arrows of the Almighty have sunk in me. Mm-hmm. Knew that God could have stopped it, and could God have stopped it? Yes. Yep. Could God have prevented Satan from going after Job in the first place? Clearly. Yes. Yeah. In fact, God introduced the concept of Job to Satan. Um, could could God have stopped the the Jews from from arresting Stephen? Yes, mm-hmm. he could have. Could he have caused them to be persuaded by Stephen's argument? Yes, he could have, and yet he didn't. And you may be going, okay, so explain why. <laughs> yeah, tell us why. And, and, exactly why. Exactly why. And, and I wish I could, um, aside from the fact that, that we, we sometimes I, I like to, to picture it like a glass ceiling, right? Like we sometimes feel like we should be able to see further or get further than we can in, in our own finitude, our, the fact that we are the create creation and not the creator. We bump mm-hmm. up against the, the glass ceiling of God's, infinitude that he is the creator and he does things that that don't fit our logical boxes always and we look at a situation we say that's a horribly tragic situation and it it is in so many ways and yet it's part of god's perfect plan and that's the tension we have to live in and there are times where the only thing that we can do is allow faith to engage um, for us and for us to sit back and say, I'm, I, you're God and I'm not, which is where Job will get to eventually, uh, but where we need to kind of live in the midst of such a, 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 a difficult world that we live in. Yeah. Someone once said, we, we as Christians live not based on explanations, but based on promises. Mm. Uh, we don't know what God ultimately has in store. And occasionally we can see Sometimes and probably most oftentimes, hindsight is twenty twenty. You could see, oh man, because that tragedy happened, this other thing took place. In fact, as we're we're going to wrap up chapter seven, we'll see that it is Stephen's martyrdom at the hands of Saul uh, that the persecution comes to the church in Jerusalem and scatters them all over. That's the very tool God uses to bring salvation to the the nations, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So God uses a very bad thing to bring about a much larger, very good thing. We can't always draw that line clearly, but we can trust that God is drawing lines, even if we're not entirely sure where they lead. Right, right. And yeah, absolutely. Even in, in Job, right? We have Job and, and it, how many of you have been encouraged by the end of Job as you've read through 38 through 41 where God's like, hey, where were you when? And Job is instructive for us on the character of God, things that we wouldn't learn about who he is right. were there not this whole storyline unfolding. Yep. Um, and so we can uh, we can know that God is ordaining, God is guiding, God is 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 working all things according to the counsel of His will, even when we don't understand it. So even when it's 109 degrees, Oof, like it's I don't be, understand, Lord. It's Tell me why. Too hot. Tell me why. 
that's not is it. that the no no okay yeah but hey we are, are grateful that you guys tuned in today and uh, yes, hopefully you have church on your docket today either you've gone or you are going or you're going to join us tonight at our bible study um we Please have do. we have two more Sunday night Bible studies. Wow. And then we're launching then on Sunday no mornings for our soft launch. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Not No More Church. So, uh, man, this church plant is becoming realer, more and more real. <laughs> realer. Realeristic. It's the realer world. <laughs> it's, it's, it's awesome. And we're so excited to see what God's doing. We're glad that you guys are joining us on this journey. Uh, and we pray that this has been a benefit to you. And we'll catch you again tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. See you Monday. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Yeah.